for, for many, maybe not for everyone, but for, for many, every, every morning after you, you roll out of bed, or, or maybe even for, for a few before you even roll out of bed, it's not very long before you, you reach for a phone, or before you turn a, a television on, or maybe even a little bit later in the car, you turn on the radio. But sometime around the time you're, you're getting ready for the day or having your first cup of coffee or, or making your way to work or if you're retired before you turn on the price is right. At one point along the way, you're most likely to read or to see or to hear some sort of news, whether it's through Apple News or on Channel 4 or any of the other avenues that are available. And you might even, especially in today's political climate, you might even hear the term fake news. This is fake news. It's, it's been presented as true. It's been presented as real, but it's not. It's fake news. And what I want to begin with this morning, what I want to present and what I want to say, what I want for us to build upon and what I want for us to come back to again and again and again this morning and what I want for you to hear from me as as clearly as I can say it today is that it's, it's all fake news. All of it's fake news. Because you and I, we have something different. We have good news. And that good news has a name. And His name is Jesus. And that truth is truth for those of us who believe. It's true because it's true. And because of that, everything changes. And what I want for you to hear from me from the very beginning, and what we're going to, to come back around to again and again, not only today, but as we begin this, this new series, this four-part series, what I want for you to hear from me is that the enemy, Satan, the enemy is a liar. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He's the father of lies. And yet too often we buy what he sells. And he is so good at selling it. And when we're buying what he is selling, all we read and all we see and all we hear is the fake news of evil and sin and pride and grief. But you and I, we have good news. And that good news has a name. And His name is Jesus. And that truth, that truth is the truth of all truths. There are, in the book of Isaiah, there are are four, what are referred to as servant songs. There are four, four servant songs. There are four passages 
from God through Isaiah that have been designated by God's people in generations past for millennia and referred to as servant songs. They're they're songs where Isaiah the prophet, he speaks on behalf of God to the people of God, speaking in regard to and proclaiming the good news, the salvation that comes from God. Now, within the historical context of the book of Isaiah, as Isaiah shares these songs with God's people, they are speaking specifically to those who are in Babylonian exile. And yet, as we consider these, these songs along the way, over the next several weeks, even though the poetry, the, the rhyme and the rhythm of these songs Uh, The poetry is lost on us because uh, we're not reading these in the original language, right? They were originally written in Hebrew. The original language, if if we were to all maybe just become proficient at Hebrew, then maybe we could get on board with this. But we're not going to do that. There are some who say, well, Hebrew is, is, is the language of God's people. And so whenever we get to eternity, I mean, it's, it's, good, it's a good thing that we've got eternity to learn this language. But these songs, these songs are written by Isaiah the prophet in the language of God's people. And in the, the rhythm and the rhyme and the poetry of the words that we're going to consider over the next several weeks, the, the poetry is lost on us. But these songs, they speak not only to the people of God living in exile then, they also speak to the coming of the Messiah. But there's one step beyond that. They also speak to the people of God today. And they serve to exalt the role of suffering in the salvation that God brings to His servants. Now maybe by way of an introduction, kind of introducing a new series, maybe that sounds a little bit complicated, and and I'm guilty of this, I make things a little more complicated than they need to be. But stick with me on this, because this this is good stuff. There's four servant songs found within the book of Isaiah. They're found within Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, and then the fourth is actually found in Isaiah chapter 52 and then carries over into chapter 53. Four Four servant songs. So what I'm going to do this morning is to consider these in four different... uh, What we're going to do is consider this in in four different messages. And what we're going to consider in this series is that each of these messages, yes, these servant songs, they, they point toward the salvation of God's people then. Yes, each and every one of these servant songs, they point toward the coming of Jesus and what God will accomplish in and through the gospel of Christ. His suffering servant to bring salvation to all of God's people for all time. But they also, they also point to the truth. The good news. That even the word, the word servant... It's the highest and most accurate word that is to describe us. And so so stick with me and turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 42. Specifically, we're going to consider verses 1 through 9. 
This morning, I want to simply read the text. The, sub, the subheading that I have here over, over these verses in my handy-dandy uh, NIV is the servant of the Lord. Isaiah 42, beginning in verse 1. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Now, God, through Isaiah, he is, he is speaking specifically to the salvation that will be brought to his people then. But we can't read this without, uh, without also seeing how these statements, these songs, they're only fully realized in Jesus. And beyond that, they are only fully realized in us. Keep reading, verses 2 and following. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord, this is what Yahweh says, this is what the God who engages in covenant relationship with his people says he who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it take a moment isaiah says take a moment to realize that god is god that's what's being said here Take a moment to realize that God is God. Take a moment to remember. Take the time and be aware that God is the only one capable of bringing good news. Don't lose sight, either through apathy or sin or any of the fake news that's out there. God, God is the one who gives breath to His people. And that's good news. If you were to take in a deep breath, Isaiah says, that's God. God's the one that gives that to you. That's God. He gives breath to His people. Life to those who live upon the earth. Yes, He promises eternity. But this is who He is here and now. Don't forget who this is about, Isaiah says. Don't forget who this is about. Don't forget who is running this show. Don't forget whose servant you are. And if it's helpful, take another breath. Because God gives that to you. He gives breath to His people. Life to those who live upon the earth. Look at verse 6. I, the Lord have called you to righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. You don't do this on your own. I will lead you. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Don't be so blind as to think this is about you. This is about God. 
This is about what God is doing. This is about what God is doing through you in the lives of others. Verse 7, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And we know this points toward those living in exile in Babylon. And we know that this points toward Jesus. But do we realize that this points toward us? Spiritual blindness, spiritual captivity, spiritual darkness and the capacity that God gives us to speak a word on His behalf to others. Verses 8 and 9, I am the Lord, that is My name. I will not, I will not give My glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place. And the new things I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Now we miss it. We miss it, but it's, it's poetic language. It's a song from God to His people. And this is, this is one place... This is one place where the NIV misses it. And I don't say that very often. But this is one place where the NIV misses it. In verse 1, the prophet, he speaks an attention-grabbing word. A word to mark the urgency of his proclamation of salvation. And the NIV misses it. And it's a word that seven times, which is intentional, right? It's the Jewish, the Jewish number of, of wholeness and completion of perfection. Seven times in the previous two chapters, the chapters that have led up to chapter 42, in chapters 40 and 41, seven times, Isaiah, he's been gearing up for this song. Seven times in the previous two chapters, and each one of them have served as a preamble They've served as a prelude for this melody. And so, there are seven statements in the previous two chapters where a Hebrew word is written. And the word best translated in English is behold. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9, Go on up a high mountain, O Zion. Herald the good news. Proclaim the good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald the good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold. That's the word. Behold your God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. Isaiah 40, verse 15. Behold the nations are like a drop in the bucket. Isaiah 41, verse 11, Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and shall perish. Isaiah 41, verse 15, Behold, you shall make the hills like chaff. There's nothing that's going to get in the way of God. Isaiah 41, verse 24, Behold, this is in regard to idolatry, Behold, you are nothing. Your work less than nothing. Those idols that we too often set up in our lives, in the place of God. Those things that stand in the way of our worship of and our relationship with God. 
Your idols are nothing. Their work less than nothing. An abomination is the one who chooses you. Who chooses an idol. And then in verse 29 of Isaiah 41, again speaking of idolatry, behold, they are a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their images are empty wind. Behold, it's the same word in in Greek that John the Baptist speaks as he sees Jesus and he has those who are following him. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Isaiah 42 verse 1. Best translated, Behold my servant whom I delight, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Don't miss, the prophet says. God says through the prophet, don't miss. That you are chosen. Chosen servants. He longs for nothing more than to delight in us. We are chosen by God. Let me try to illustrate with this. I would like for you to Find someone on the same aisle as you are on, and I want for you to give them a high five. Go ahead. And I don't mean like a little bitty, you know. I mean, give them a, give them a high five. Now think about this. Think about this. Now, unless you were asleep and someone woke you up just now... <laughs> And you have no idea what's going on, which will teach you to sleep from now on. You can't do that. You can't do it without, without smiling, can you? Let's do it this way. I want you to give somebody a high five, and I want you to mean it. Somebody either in front or behind you. Just, just choose somebody. Choose somebody to give a high five to. Now, that... Think about it, that, that makes you feel good, right? It makes, it makes you smile, that, that makes you feel good, right? Why? Now, it might make you feel good because you've never given a high five in church before. Maybe that's why it makes you feel, you feel good. But, there's, but there's, also, there's also some choosing going on. There's some choosing that's going on. We, we, long, we long to be chosen. And God's done that for us, to us, on our behalf, through Jesus. There's something within us that yearns to be chosen. And I'm telling you, that yearning that we have within us is for God. And He's already given it to us. He's already fulfilled it. He's already promised it. He's already offered it. It's just up to us to receive that choosing. Tierce and I, you guys know this, Tierce and I have six, we have six children, but we also have a few other children that I haven't talked about. Let me complete that statement. 
We have several, what I call our refrigerator children. Some of you have refrigerator children, right? We have these refrigerator children. We, we have four different, four different children that we, that we help support, that we help sponsor uh, through an organization called World Vision. We also have a, a family uh, in, in El Salvador that we help financially support um, through Project Red, which Eastridge is very much invested into and, and, a, and a part of. Uh, World Vision right now, a lot of times, or what they've done in the past, if you're familiar with them, you support, you sponsor financially, it's, it's a very small amount of money, but you support, you sponsor a child in a third world country that's struggling. And your funding provides for them things that they would not otherwise have. And in the past, what World Vision has done is you choose a child, you can go online, you can choose this child. Uh, a lot of times if you're at some sort of event, they'll have an actual p- picture of this child and you take the, this card and you, you complete the information and then you, you sponsor that child for a designated amount of time. But right now, World Vision, they're doing something different. Instead of you choosing a child, they are either taking or you give them a picture of you. And then they take that picture along with a whole lot of other pictures. And they put them in front of a child that needs to be sponsored. And then that child chooses you. Some of you are thinking, I'm going to go online and do that, which is awesome. That's what God does for us, to us. God, He chooses. We are chosen by God, not in some sort of Calvinistic or Reformed, some sort of uh, Some are predestined to be saved. Some are predestined not to be saved. Not in that sort of way at all. You guys know me better than that. You guys know Scripture better than that. Our God has chosen. Our God has chosen each of us before the creation of the world to be in Christ. Now we have to respond to that choosing But we are chosen by God. And that choosing means everything. And Isaiah, he's been saying, look at this. Listen to this. This news, this is important. Listen to these songs of your servant. Pay attention to who God is. Pay attention to what God has done. Pay attention to what God is doing. Pay attention to what God will do. Pay attention to who God is in your life. Behold your God. And then Isaiah 42. Behold the servant. You see, the servant is chosen for a mission. And that mission is to be a human being bringing about justice for others. Bringing about healing for others. Bringing about reconciliation for others. And Isaiah says the way that that will be accomplished it's, it's anything but grandiose. The servant works quietly and gently. 
No yelling. No forcing. No coercing. Meekness, not power. And despite the servant's seeming inadequacy, within all of the suffering of the human condition, all of the suffering that we are constantly aware of in the lives of others, all of the suffering we are constantly made aware of in our own lives. God's chosen servant will not fail. And we know that this points toward God's plan for His people then. And we know that this points toward God's plan for His people in Jesus. But I wonder if we're equally as aware of God's plan for His people, us. And God's plan for His people through us. And in particular, God bringing about salvation through suffering. And we'll see this more clearly in the coming weeks as we move on to the other three passages. But the role of suffering in God bringing about salvation Let me read this quote from Eugene Peterson. While the suffering and death of Jesus is definitive and complete, there is no more. And the more, there there is more. And the more has to do with our participation in what Jesus accomplishes in His suffering and death. There is more to the the servant. And Peterson is writing in particular to these four songs. There is more to the servant than Jesus. There are also His servants. Much as we try to get out of it or find our way around it, there is simply no following of Jesus that does not involve suffering and rejection and death. No exceptions. And that's good news. And it's not the question, it's not even the question of of why is there suffering in the world. That's another discussion. It's the question of why suffering in salvation. The role of suffering in our salvation. When we look to the gospel of Jesus, and really, even whenever we look to the design of of the Old Covenant, the sacrificial system that anticipated the cross of Christ. Suffering in salvation demonstrates the pain of sin. Sin is costly. And it's ugly. Sin is painful. We're saved by the precious blood of Jesus. But it's our sin that requires, that required that bloodshed for salvation. We needed it to be done because we are guilty and sinful and weak. And we cannot save ourselves. But that's good news. And we also needed to see 
we needed to see that it could be done. You see, Jesus does not go to the cross so that we don't have to. That's poor theology. Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus sacrifices on our behalf to show us how. To show us how to die daily. To show us how to sacrifice. And sometimes, sometimes we suffer unjustly. We suffer because of others. We suffer because of what others heap upon us. And it's unjust. Sometimes we suffer because of the harmful choices of others. Choices that we didn't deserve. Sometimes living in a, in a, in a fallen and a broken world, sometimes our, our suffering is through physical suffering, through illness, through disease. The simple confinement to this human condition. Sometimes we suffer unjustly. And it's not right. And it's not from God. Sometimes we suffer justly. We suffer rightly so. We deserve it. Sometimes we, we suffer and it is, our, it is our penalty for our sin or our pride or our arrogance. And quite frankly, in general, all three of those are working in tandem. Sometimes we suffer because we have brought it all upon ourselves. And there's no one, there's no one to blame but us. And absolutely no excuses to be made. But you see, we need pain. Because pain reminds us we are human. And that we need God. It reminds us, as we've talked about recently, it reminds us that we were created for a place that we have yet to be. It reminds us that when we're weak, when we're weak, then we're strong. It's not when we're strong that we're strong. It's when we're weak and we know it and we know our weakness and we rely upon God and we seek His face and we desire to please Him and when we desire to to pursue His heart because nothing, nothing else matters more than that. It's when we're weak that we're strong. We work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, confessing with a smile, not with, not with heads bowed in defeat, but with heads held high, seeking His face, knowing that He is God and that we are not. The servant songs in Isaiah, they remind us of our brokenness. And they remind us of God's strength. And that's such a good thing. Over the next several weeks, this is going to be the basis of our time together on Sunday mornings. We bring our brokenness to Him. We bring our brokenness to Him. 
In a few moments, Tony's going to lead us in a, a song. We often call it the invitation song. Really, it's not ours. It's not our song. It's not our invitation. It's the invitation of the Lord. And this morning, as you consider the invitation of God, it might be that as we all stand and sing, it might be that you needed to stay seated for a minute. And just acknowledge and confess to God your need for Him. Your failure of Him. Your need for Him to make you new. It might be that this church family can bless you by praying over you in a public way. It's what the community of faith is all about. It might be that you... You'd be blessed by one of our elders to pray over you. They would be honored to do so. And it also might be this morning that you've never been baptized into Christ. And if that's you, and if you've not, I pray that you would not leave here this morning without having done so. Without having given your whole self. Without choosing the one who has chosen you. Let's all stand and sing.